How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 62 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today we are brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I just got my Built Bar box and uh, I am two bars in and I am already thinking about what flavors I want to get for my next box. Uh, these things are delicious. I'll get into that more a little bit later. But uh, today we're going to be doing our Merck Mulder trade retrospective. Uh, of course, Merck Mulder was traded in December of 2004. I'm going to look into the return where the A's were at that point in time. Uh, they had just been eliminated in four straight ALDSs, so uh, that's where they were in time, and you know where uh, contracts were and all that stuff, and why maybe the uh, the trade happened in the first place, and what could have avoided a trade or a big sell-off of this magnitude, uh, you know, going down. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. Also, uh, just a brief note: uh, the A's didn't pay their rent. And in a statement to the media, they said, The rally possum's the only one using the facility, so we'll get you guys later. Uh, That's a direct quote. Obviously, it's real, and uh, that's what they're going with. Um, So... Before I get into the whole Mark Mulder trade, uh, please follow us on social media at LockedOnA's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB. You can email us at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com with anything that you want. Uh, we are still in the quarantine times, so I am open to any questions. Um, you can also tweet them at us, too. That's fine. As long as they're, is it 240, 240 characters? Yeah, 240 or less, or a stream of thoughts. It doesn't matter. Uh, reach out to us. We're having fun here. Um, so, Mark Mulder. Traded 2004 uh, after the 2004 season. So I'll give you guys the details of the trade real quick. Mark Mulder was traded to St. Louis. St. Louis traded Derek Barton, Kiko Calero, and Dan Heron to the A's. So uh, not a bad trade. I, I know that Mark Mulder was one of the big three. Um, and we'll get into you know how he performed with St. Louis here in a sec. But uh you know, Derek Barton was a decent first baseman for a while. He never, you know, hit the ceiling that we all envisioned for him. But he wasn't terrible either, for the most part. He did have one great season in 2010, so that was nice. Uh, Kiko Calero was pretty decent. Dan Heron was really good, and then we flipped him again. So, uh, you know, they, they did well with this trade, I would say. Unlike the Tim Hudson deal, which maybe we'll get into at some point. But uh, that one hurts more. So... Uh, in 2004, uh, the A's had just missed making the uh, the playoffs by one game, uh, by actually tying for the division lead by one game. Uh, and in the previous four seasons, they had won. Uh, you know, they had gotten into the playoffs uh, from 2000 to 2003. And obviously, this includes the Moneyball team and you know Jason Giambi being great and you know Giambi leading them to 102 wins. And then the next year, they, the Moneyball team wins 2003. Sorry, uh, 103. 2003 is not possible. Uh, It was the year 2002 as well. So uh, none of that was true. I should probably re-record that, but you know what? No. Uh, They won 103 games without Jason Giambi and Jermaine Dye and all that stuff. Uh, I watched the movie. It's very close. It's uh, seared into my brain right now. So they went 91 and 71 in 2004. Not a bad showing by any means. And if there had been two wild cards, probably would have made it. Um, but this is pre two wild card era, uh, and the Boston Red Sox were also really good. So they, they, uh, the bar was really high for getting that wild card. Uh, they finished one game behind Anaheim and, uh, Boston got that wild card, obviously. And then they won the world series breaking, you know, the curse of the Bambino and everything. So, uh, yay for them. 
I think that was probably the last time I rooted for them, too. See, even the teams that I despise generally, uh, like they were still like the lovable losers, like the Cubs. And uh, it was easier to root for Boston at that point because they hadn't won and they'd never really been good in my lifetime. So uh, that was that was good times. Um, so Jermaine Dye was a big part of these teams uh, those those last couple of years, and uh, he was set to be a free agent. So losing Jermaine Dye was going to be a big piece of the offense uh, for sure. Uh, the wild card spot didn't look like an option anymore with Boston being great. You had Anaheim being they had already, they had just won the division, and uh, they were you know pretty darn good too. They had just won the World Series. The Yankees were, you know, in the middle of winning everything all the time. Well, I guess they had just stopped, but, you know, they, they had won so many, was it like four and five years, something like that? It was a ridiculous number. Three and five? Anyways, Yankees suck. Um, and then the Central didn't matter because, you know, they're going to make it no matter what anyway. Funny enough, I say that, and then the Chicago White Sox win the World Series in 2005. So, you know, oh well. Uh, so heading into August, Mark Mulder had a 3.43 ERA, but was coming off a July, a month of July, where he had a 5.11 ERA. So he was on the decline entering August. Um, he had had a great first half of the season, and uh, his highest ERA by month to that point had been 3.0. So he'd been really, really, really good. Mark Mulder, you know, one of the big three, top guy. Uh, and then... Everything fell apart. He matched his 5 ERA in August and then fell apart in the final month of the season, going 0-4 with an 879 ERA and a 2.093 whip. Uh, 1.2 was around the average whip, I would say, maybe 1.25. He had a 2.093. So uh, he was very hittable, is what we're going to say right there. Uh, Mark Mulder really, really, really fell apart. And, you know, that's probably why they uh, they didn't make the playoffs that year, if we're being honest. Um, so if we're going to go with a what if, it, what if Mark Mulder hadn't fallen apart in the final three months, uh, they probably would have taken the AL West and uh, maybe Hudson and Mulder don't get traded after the season. I don't know if that's the case because, uh, you know, Jermaine Dye was going to leave the, the American League was a lot tougher at that point, and you had Hudson for one more year. You had uh, two con two years of control for Mulder. You, you, they probably saw, you know, same thing with like 2014. The window was closing, and the A's being the A's, they have to restock on talent through trades and other means. So the trades probably would have happened regardless because they had just been to, you know, four ALDSs, couldn't uh, progress past the first round probably got a retool at that point so I don't know if him having a better final three months of the season getting an extra win or two would have you know uh gotten the A's on a different trajectory but they would have had an, at least a shot of the World Series probably wouldn't have been their best shot but they would have had a shot and maybe it would have changed the uh the trajectory of the franchise for you know the next decade and a half or so um yeah it it's hard to say how it would have gone um but before I get into the return you know really get into the, the nuts and bolts of the trade. I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar. Uh, as I said before, my box came and uh, wow, the, these are these are good. They're all really tasty. I, I keep staring at them and I'm like, I want more of you, but I probably shouldn't have this much protein because they're stacked with protein, you guys. The first one I grabbed out of the box yesterday, it was the coconut almond. And uh, it, it basically tastes 
like an Almond Joy. Like a chewy, chewy Almond Joy. If you don't like the nut, <laughs> that one nut in an Almond Joy, this bar is for you for sure. Um, it had a, It's 130 calories. It has 18 grams of protein, 7 grams of fiber, 3 grams of sugar, 5 grams of fat. And uh, it, it really is melt in your mouth good. I really thoroughly enjoyed this bar. Um, if you get like a, what are those? I, I, it's been a while since I've had an Almond Joy, but this is dead on what an Almond Joy tastes like. Um, if you get like an Almond Joy bar and it's those two Almond Joys in there, it's basically the equivalent size of that. So roughly four, maybe five bites, depending on, you know, how much you're, you're chomping down. It might be two bites because they're freaking delicious. Uh, so if you're wondering how you can get a Built Bar box sent to you, uh, go to BuiltBar.com, enter code LOCKEDON, and you get $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. So just use code LOCKEDON and uh, go from there. They are delicious. I will go into more of these uh, bars here later this week, but uh, the Coconut Almond one thoroughly enjoyed five stars. This podcast is also sponsored by the audiobook edition of 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas. You know Bob Costas. He uh, he was on the, uh, the Last Dance a whole bunch at the end there, and it, so it's read. There's a foreword read by Bob Costas. Is what I'm saying there, and uh, a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author John Shea. John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. So the first part of this return for Mark Mulder, I'm going to talk about is uh, Kiko Calero. Kiko Calero, reliever. We got him from the Cardinals, obviously. Uh, He played for Oakland for three seasons and parts of a fourth. He didn't really pitch much on the fourth, so I'm going to say three and like a quarter seasons. Um, and in 2008, he held a 386 ERA in four and two thirds inning pitched uh, before he got released at the end of June. So I'm not even going to say, I'm not counting that as anything. He pitched three seasons with the ace. Let's, let's just say that. Uh, Calero struggled in 2007 while making $1.6 million. And in, you know he was a free agent after that. He re-signed with the A's at, uh, and they re-signed him for a million dollars so they could tell. He wasn't getting better or, you know, more valuable, so they paid him less and uh, kept him around because, you know, he was decent. Um, in 2007, he went 1-3 with a 5.75 ERA and a 1.648 whip. Uh, that equated to a 74 ERA+. plus. Uh, as we said before, a 1.648 whip, not great, especially for a reliever. Uh, relievers can have, like, sub-1 ER era whips, and that's not necessarily uncommon. So uh, he was really struggling that season. Uh, His walk rate started at around 2.9 walks per nine innings uh, in his first year with the A's in 2005. And it went up by about a walk per nine innings uh, each year. And it peaked at 5.8 walks per nine in his, you know, very brief 2008 stint before he got released. So he started at uh, 2.9, went all the way up to 5.8 and it doesn't take a Billy Bean to realize those aren't good trends. So uh, he was released. 
Um, I was going to make a Royals joke because he was actually drafted by the Royals and then signed as a free a minor league free agent with the Cardinals. But uh, then I did some digging and, you know, oh, the A's got all these players from the Royals was going to be the joke. And then uh, apparently Jermaine Dye was traded to the Rockies the same day that he was traded to the A's. So he went from the Royals to the Rockies to the A's, not straight from the Royals to the A's. It was not a three-team deal. He made he was a Rocky for roughly an hour or two. Uh, I didn't have a time on there, but he wasn't a Rocky for long. Never suited up for the Rockies, uh, which is why I couldn't recall that. Uh, also, I was like 16 and did not pay attention then. So Jermaine Dye, fun fact, was a Rocky for about a half a second. All right, but now I'm going to talk about uh, everybody's least favorite first baseman from this trade. Uh, he was also the only first baseman from this trade. My wife actually loves Derek Barton, and uh, she w has wanted me to talk about him for a very long time. And uh, I'm like, hey, he was fine. You know, I don't dislike the guy at all. I think that some people do vehemently dislike this guy. But uh, vehemently? Yeah, vehemently dislike this guy. Uh, I think he's fine. You know, he was good. I always, you know, I think I was uh, clouded by the prospect pedigree for a very long time. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to turn it around at some point. And he had a lot of opportunities to do so, but he never did. Um, anyways, so Derek Barton, he was ranked at number twine, uh, 29 on Pipeline's top 50 heading into the 2005 season with Nick Swisher, Dan Mayer, and Joe Blanton also on the list. So uh, the A's had a very stacked uh, prospect pipeline of the top 50 right there. You got Swisher, Dan Mayer, who came over in a different trade. Uh, you may remember which one that is. I mentioned it earlier. And uh, Joe Blanton, and then you also had Derek Barton on there. Um, for me, I think that part of why Derek Barton never lived up to the expectations that we all had for him was because people like Jason Stark of ESPN were calling him, I mean, it might have been true at the time, but the best pure hitter in the minor leagues in a Futures game article and compared him to Tony Gwynn and NL MVP Albert Pujols. So, uh, you know, just, you know, Hall of Famer and, you know, the guy who's the best player in baseball at the time, it's fine. That, that's this guy. So uh, he didn't hit those expectations, as we all know, but he was decent. He was fine. It's not like the A's were terribly good during his tenure there anyway, so his play wasn't hurting anybody. It's all right. So uh, Barton's best year, as I said before, came in uh, his only truly full season way back in 2010. He slashed 273, 393, and 405. That slugging percentage is amazing. His best season didn't have an OPS over, four, or over 800, so uh, oh well. Uh, he hit double-digit home runs for the only time in his career, and he had a 120 OPS+. plus. So actually, as a batter, he was 20% above league average. Not bad. Um, so that's nice. By a baseball, refer yeah, baseball references similarity score, he finished most similar to Mickey Rocco, a member of the Cleveland Indians of the mid-40s. Uh, so if you know who Mickey Rocco is, that's, uh, that's who they thought... Derek Barton was like, Mickey Rocco, 1940s, uh, dead ball era. No, it, dead ball era was gone by then. Uh, I think he played like four seasons, like during the war too. Um, so he was definitely not, you know, the Ted Williams of the Cleveland Indians. He was, Ted Williams is fighting overseas. Here's Mickey Rocco of the Indians. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Derek Barton hit free agency after 2014 and he signed with Toronto. Feels like everybody went to Toronto for a bit. 
Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Anyways, he hit 196 in 111 plate appearances and, were, and was released that July. So Derek Parton came in with a bunch of expectations from A's fans and, you know, baseball fans in general. And it never quite reached that uh, ceiling that, you know, everybody had in their minds for him. But, you know, he was decent. He had uh, a five and a half win season and that's not anything to sneeze at. That's basically all-star level right there. So, uh, you know, if they got one all-star season out of a guy that they were like, hey, this guy might be decent, then that's not terrible. You know, this is just a couple years removed when the trade happened from uh, how hot is his girlfriend scouting. Um, because if he's got an ugly girlfriend, he's got no self-confidence, and he's not going to be a big leaguer. So, I mean, at, at the time, it was very hard to scout players. Now you have TrackMan and all that stuff that, you know, goes with uh, how fast they're throwing, obviously, because they, they've always had that. But, uh, you know, how many rotations the, the ball has, and, you know, their spin rate. That's what I was looking for. Um, yeah, so they can calculate spin rate and, you know, uh, how much the ball is moving and all that stuff. So things have changed. But back in 2004, didn't have that so much, and uh, the A's did fine on this trade. Uh, the headliner was supposed to be Derek Barton. It wound up being Dan Heron, who was pretty freaking good. Uh, Dan Heron, even though he only totaled three seasons with the A's, Heron's 11.5 war on baseball reference makes him the most valuable piece in the return by far. Uh, Barton totaled 8.9 war over eight seasons, uh, so, you know. He, he did three wins better and two and a half wins better in five fewer seasons. Not bad. And obviously the A's had to trade him, which we can get into here in a sec, which just led to another, oh, fun trade. Um, all right. So anyways, Dan Heron, uh, he went 43 and 34 in those three seasons and he averaged a 120 ERA plus. So he was 20% above league average in those three years. He was also on the last A's team to make it to the ALCS. So, uh, you know, there's something to hang your head on, Dan Heron. Um, he was an all-star in his final season for the A's in 2007, uh, and he finished that year with a 3.07 ERA and a 138 ERA+. plus. Obviously, he had to be traded after that. Um, Heron was traded to Arizona in December of 2007 for Brett Anderson, Chris Carter, Aaron Cunningham, Dana Evelyn, Greg Smith, and Carlos Gonzalez. Um, we might get into that trade at some point, but oh boy. Um, they got a, a haul of talent that helped the team for a very long time. Brad Anderson was pretty decent with the A's. Uh, he had a great 2012 season uh, in the play. Well, he had a good start in the playoffs of the 2012 postseason. Uh, Chris Carter was traded for Jed Lowry. That was fun. Uh, some, there was a, I did some, some digging on all these guys. There were some, some fun little threads to pull at, but I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip over that. Um, so basically, in summation, the trade worked out very well for the A's. The Mark Mulder trade, not the other ones that I've alluded to. Um, so their war totals, uh, Mark Mulder had negative point, or a 0.2 for his tenure with the Cardinals. Uh, Dan Heron had an 11.4 for the A's. Kiko Calero had 1.8 for the A's. And Derek Barton had 8.9 for the A's. Mark Mulder's best season was a 2.5 war, so he had a decent one season, and then he was not good after that, which led to him having a negative war. That's how war works. Weird how you add a couple of negatives to a positive, and it ends up being negative. You know, it drags it down. Um, anyways, that's math. Um, yeah, so basically, the A's could have gotten any of these players and had a better return 
you know, a, the better end of the deal for Mark Mulder. Uh, Kiko Calero, for, you know, his couple of seasons, he could have, he, he did outproduce Mark Mulder. Uh, Derek Barton did it over a longer period of time, but, you know, obviously. And uh, Dan Heron was the centerpiece of that deal in retrospect with 11.4 wins above replacement. Not a bad trade for Billy Bean. And I wanted to focus on some positive right now, so that was fun. Um, yeah, so that's going to be it for today. I'm going to get back to you guys tomorrow and talk a little bit about uh, baseball re labor relations again, probably, because uh, that's fun. I'll just go through it real quick, and then maybe I'll talk about the KBO after that, because that's more fun and, you know, actual baseball. So, yeah, um, so that's what you have to look forward to. In the meantime, go to BuiltBar.com, enter code LOCKEDON, and get $10 off your first order of Built Bar. Uh, yeah, so that, they're good bars. I, I truly believe that. Uh, they're nice and chewy, which is how I like them. And there's lots of protein. So if you're, uh, you're in for a good walk around the house, have a built bar. Um, yeah, so that's it for today. In the meantime, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. I will talk with you guys soon.